The lesson today is Jesus over nature. And the background passage for this lesson is Mark chapter 4. Jesus continued to reveal himself through his actions. Here in the Gospel of Mark, he was by the Sea of Galilee and began teaching. He eventually had to get on a boat because of the large crowds. As we consider today's passage, let this background invade your senses. Think it, smell the crowd, taste the salty air, hear the authority of Jesus. See the Sea of Galilee, vast and mighty. The disciples didn't realize it, but this lecture from the teacher would be followed quickly by a pop quiz. The crowds congregated around Jesus for various reasons, some to listen and some to see a spectacle. For the crowds and the disciples, they had heard and observed Jesus, but did they really understand his message? Many people called Jesus a teacher, but he wasn't only a teacher. He was Lord. Jesus could tell that his words alone were not sinking down into the hearts of the crowds and the disciples. Like a high school chemistry student, sometimes we need to see the experiment come to life before our eyes, before the head knowledge actually can take hold. The first point of this lesson is the Son of God rests in the care of his Father. We find this in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 38. On that day, when evening had come, he told them, Let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in a boat, and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? Now, the Sea of Galilee is really a lake in Israel that's fed by the Jordan River, and it's the lowest freshwater lake on earth. Being low and surrounded by hills, violent storms can rapidly occur with the water swirling when the strong winds came. Now, Jesus had been teaching all day. He'd been surrounded by a very large crowd, speaking from inside a boat and using parables to reveal truths about the kingdom of God. This parable-type teaching was an effective way of demonstrating spiritual truths to people in an earthly world. When a real-life object was placed beside an invisible truth, its understanding became more clear. On top of that, Jesus explained everything to his own disciples privately, so that they effectively had the teacher's outline and notes to go with the verbal lecture. At evening, Jesus invited his disciples to cross over to the other side of the sea. Jesus knew that sometimes God's followers must go through tough times in order to live out their obedience to God. Abraham was asked to sacrifice Isaac, Jacob wrestled with God all night. Moses held up his hands through an entire battle. Joshua and his men marched 
all night and fought all day to defend people who had tricked them, and more. Those give-it-all-you've-got situations reveal who God is, how He works, and that His mighty hand is powerful in the lives of His people. Jesus was going to do the same thing for His disciples on the Sea of Galilee. Now, Jesus was already in the boat, so his disciples joined him. We can imagine that this was no mighty sea vessel. It was like a simply uh, just a fishing boat fitted for short excursions. Anyone who owned this boat would have watched the sky ready to head to shore at the first sign of a storm. In addition, other boats were with him. This was likely a small collection of people who decided to follow after Jesus in their own vessels. They likely thought that they were going to get a front row seat to a miracle. They had no idea what was about to happen. <clears throat> we see that a great windstorm arose. The Greek word for great, megas, can apply to the mass or weight, extent, stature, or age of a thing. It can also point to an abundance, intensity, violence, rank, importance, or excellence. Some Bibles translate this word loud. Mark stressed the magnitude of the storm and described its effects. Waves were breaking over the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. Imagine the chaos. Pelting rain, roaring winds, and tumultuous waves pouring water into the humble fishing boat. We picture the disciples in the boat, wet and overwhelmed with fear as the waters inside and outside of the boat continued to break around them. It's really a helpless feeling to find yourself physically overpowered, and these men had no response to such a storm. Jesus, on the other hand, did not exhibit such panic. In fact, he'd found a cushion in the stern or the rear of the boat. If you've ever rented a two-man canoe for a float down a local river, the rear of the boat would hold significance for you. That's where the steering would happen. Jesus, Lord of all, was resting in the pilot's seat, unconcerned with the raging storm, and he was sleeping on a cushion, probably a comfortable but wet cushion at that point. The disciples had left, let Jesus sleep for a while. Perhaps they recognized that he'd had a long day. Or possibly for a while they figured they could handle the, handle the storm themselves. Or they might have even considered that he was all-knowing and would wake up when it got bad. Evidently, he didn't do what they thought. and He, he wasn't actually helping. He wasn't comforting. He wasn't praying. So they woke him with poignant words. Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? Their thoughts went to the worst case scenario. And they addressed Jesus as teacher, nothing more. His teaching had been powerful for sure. But his authority over nature, not so evident in this situation, yet there's nothing like a crisis to reveal our faith. The disciples had left their normal lives to follow a revolutionary teacher from Galilee. They heard his teaching, watched his miracles, and witnessed his life. They professed strong faith and allegiance. That is, until the storms swelled. That's when they cried out. 
Don't you care that we're going to die? These men had an immature faith that needed reassurance in Jesus' identity. So they so let us consider Jesus' position of rest and his ultimate authority. The second point of today's lesson is the Son of God exerts authority over his creation. And we find this in Mark chapter 4, verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence! Be still! The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now, in verse 38, the disciples asked Jesus, Don't you care that you were going to die? If the question, Don't you care, rings a bell in your memory, that may be because it is used in another famous passage. In Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, Jesus is visiting Mary and Martha. Mary is sitting at his feet while Martha found herself loaded with many tasks. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Is Martha's sternly worded question to Jesus the same word for care is used in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you? We see in 1 Peter the answer to the question Martha and the disciples ask. Yes, without a doubt, Jesus does care. Jesus cares for you and your struggle not with a distant wish of thoughts and prayers in a crisis. Jesus wants us to lay our burdens at his feet over and over until the weight no longer crushes us. He wants us to know and believe that he has the power to handle our cares. In response to the question from the disciples, Jesus didn't respond with empty words. He acted in power. First, we see that he got up, can you imagine Jesus rubbing his eyes, blinking hard? Movies may portray Jesus as always steady and almost emotionless, but he also was a human. It probably took him a second to wake up, just as it does us. Then he rebuked the wind. Though Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this story, none of them tell his exact words of rebuke. But the Greek word, word that translated rebuke is the same to describe Jesus' rebukes of crowds who would blow his cover. And a demon from a boy with seizures. This wasn't a gentle correction, but a strong scolding. After all, all things were created through him, and he has authority over all creation. Jesus then spoke to the sea, Silence, be still. The verb translated silence is a Greek word that sometimes emphasizes an involuntary stillness or an inability to speak. The Greek word for be still carries with it the imagery of muzzling. Jesus used the same word when he confined demonic spirits. Jesus rebukes and speaks and creation obeys. We see then that the nature respond that nature responds to Jesus' commands. First, the wind ceased; it obeyed; it did what Jesus told it to do. No other person on earth could do such a thing. Speak to the wind or the sun or the earth and make it obey. Only God, the supreme divine being, can do such. Jesus was making a statement: "I have power. I have authority. 
I am God. And the wind didn't cease gradually. It didn't slowly calm itself. This change was instant, immediately. Nature responded immediately to Jesus' command because Jesus, being God, has authority over all creation. Then there was a great calm. Just as there had been a great storm, there was now a great calm. Calm, as, as great as the storm was, the calm was just as great. It was abundant, excellent calmness. Perhaps you've experienced this. Perhaps you've sometimes invited over, invite over a big, loud family to enjoy a meal with yours. After they leave, there's a heavy peace that fills your home. Not just a quietness in the noise level, a peace that envelops the whole atmosphere. Yet in this situation, the calm and peace was complete, immediate, and even greater than is possible for us to imagine, externally and probably internally in the hearts of those present. They had, a, had difficulty imagining what was happening. After the immediate, obedient response from the wind and the storm, Jesus turned to his disciples. He had just revealed himself to be the ultimate authority over wind and sea, whose words carried the power to still and silence a violent storm. He had allowed his closest friends to glimpse his divine, his holy divinity in the midst of his humanity. What would he say next? Jesus commanded the storm to be still, and it obeyed. He commanded demons to leave a human host, and they did. He ordered a fig tree to wither, and it did. In every sphere of life, Jesus proved his ultimate authority. As his disciples saw him clearly, the reality of his identity was overwhelming. Now, the third point in today's lesson is the Son of God calls for faith from his followers. We find this in Mark chapter 4, verses 40 and 41. Then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, who, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. If we see Jesus' teaching as a lecture and the story sees as the assessment, it's probably safe to assume that the disciples did not pass their test. They panicked, assumed they would die and accused the Lord of not caring. That's not what most of us would call walking by faith. Yet, we as believers sometimes walk just like this. We're calm and cool, diligent to pray, and faithful to read our Bibles when we're in control and life is clicking along on the rails, as we would expect. But, when we're faced with a time of struggle, heartbreak, and disaster, we do the same as the disciples. We tend to panic, assume we won't make it, and accuse God of not caring. We struggle with the same issue as the disciples. We don't believe God is who he says he is. We may know it intellectually, but we don't live it out. We don't stake our life's calling on it because of a nagging fear. What if God doesn't come through? So we make a plan B of material possessions people and situations will run to if God doesn't seem to be there for us. 
it, it all really boils down to faith. Either God is with us, all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing, or He isn't. If you believe that He is these things, then your response to your own personal storms looks vastly different from the one who doesn't believe. That brings us to Jesus' two questions on this verse. First, why are you afraid? We might ask ourselves the same questions and find our answers accusing God of things because of our limited knowledge. God didn't send me on the right path or God didn't do what I thought he would do. Though we might be tempted to think that we must always remember that God's ways are not our ways, what you might see is the wrong path God knows it to be a new opportunity for you to practice believing. What you might see as God dropping the ball, God sees as an opportunity for you to yield to his perfect plan. The second question really was more incriminating. Do you still have no faith? Ouch! No faith? That sounds so harsh. Maybe we ourselves would call it wavering faith or frail faith. But to Jesus, we either believe or we don't. Do the disciples believe Jesus was God Almighty and prove it with their lives at this point? No, they didn't. It can sometimes seem easy to shake our heads at the disciples and roll our eyes at their young faith or lack thereof. But in this passage, we see ourselves in the unbelieving, panicking disciples. In the midst of what may have been the greatest chaos of their lives to this point, a boat ride turned nightmare in Jesus' power over nature. We can picture ourselves very much like the disciples when facing danger and struggles, slack-jawed and overwhelmed. Mark stated it very clearly. They were terrified or filled with a great fear. In the Greek, we see the word great three times in this story. There was a great storm, then a great calm, and then a great fear. But this fear wasn't for the storm. This new greater fear was for the one who had silenced it. They saw Jesus clearly in this situation, understanding that he wasn't just a mystical healer, or a powerful teacher. This was God Almighty. These Jewish men grew up hearing all the stories from Scripture. Now they had seen God's power with their own eyes. As we picture the bewildered disciples staring blankly at Jesus, they speak out the words, Who then is this? Not only did the disciples see the Almighty power and authority of Jesus commanding creation. They beheld Jesus, God in the flesh. They thought the storm was something to be feared. Now they realize Jesus is stronger than that fear, for he himself is to be feared. I want to close this lesson with a voice from the church. Athanasius, who, was, um, who lived from 296 to 373, stated, For when he arose and rebuked the sea and silenced the storm, he plainly disclosed two things. 
that the storm of the sea was not simply from winds, but from the fear of the Lord who walked upon it, and that the Lord who rebuked it was not a creature, but rather its creator. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we thank you for sending your son Jesus to earth to show us how to demonstrate faith in him. And this simple lesson of a storm on the seas, seeing Jesus, your almighty son, calm that storm, proved to those disciples that Jesus was almighty God on earth. And Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus to die for our sins, that we too might be saved from this horrible sin and and turmoil on this earth. Lord, I pray for those that are listening to this lesson today that you would just be with them and surround them with your loving arms and grace and mercy. And for those that are sick and hurting, Lord, just show them and remind them that their faith in you is enough to help them overcome any obstacle that they are facing. And Lord, I pray that you would send the Holy Spirit to guide our steps and direct us to those who need to hear this awesome message of Jesus Christ and his authority over all creation. For it's in Jesus' precious name that I pray. Amen.